Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is uh, Forward Radio, WFMP-LP Louisville, 106.5 FM on your radio dial. If you want to find out a little bit more about our station, you'd go to forwardradio.org, and we're live streaming now, and so you can listen to us on your uh, smartphone uh, PC, laptop, tablet, uh, anywhere in the world. So, folks, just uh, let you know that uh, uh, we're in our p- pledge drive period. So, uh, uh, so if you like what you're hearing on Forward Radio, uh, we need to raise five thousand dollars to meet our goal for the pledge drive. And so, uh, every dollar you pledge helps get us to our goal. Uh, consider becoming a, a sustaining member of WFMP at five dollars, ten dollars or more uh, per month, uh, and you can uh, do that at our PayPal link at the bottom of our homepage at forwardradio.org. And then, and just remember, it costs about twenty dollars a day to operate the station, right? So if you give twenty dollars, that's a day of programming. And remember, we're operated entirely by volunteers. Nobody gets paid to put this radio station on. So if you can help us out, it'll be great. So, folks, we're blessed and favored to have Dr. Uh, Bill Hamilton, Ph.D., here with us today. Welcome, Dr. Hamilton. Good to be here. How are you? Oh, well, doing real good, doing real good. Uh, So, Dr. Hamilton, uh, uh, folks who don't know, Dr. Bill Hamilton is a uh, retired college professors of an expert in, uh, in literature and history, and particularly black literature and, and black history, and and so and things that uh, uh, very conversant on things that affect our community. So, uh, Dr. Hamilton, uh, tell us some of the things that are going on in your world. Well, thank you, K.A. The world, of course, everybody knows this is our annual season. We've been get, expanded our week of black history to a month or more. And so I'm very interested in those kinds of things. We've had a lot of activity, particularly here in Louisville, as you well know. Louisville, as most people will tell you, is at kind of the eye of the hurricane in terms of current uh, activity in the black community in lots of ways. So, yes, I'm involved in many things that concern our community, one of which is, of course, the ongoing drama, I have to say, the ongoing tragedy, I should say, ongoing extreme activity in terms of Breonna Taylor, uh, our local our local representative of what's happening in this world. So, yes, and so it's an interesting time uh, in black uh, history. Uh, so, you know, we have, again, we have a uh, uh, black South Asian vice president, you know, of the United States. We have where, without the black population of the state of Georgia and uh, the outstanding organizing of Stacey Abrams and uh, uh, Warnock, who's now the senator, uh, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris would not be in the White House. So, uh, and so there's, and strange, when you get in black circles, you, you, you still find, uh, for obvious reasons, blacks are very, very frustrated with the state of the country and and, and want to separate and kind of do our own thing. And then, you, then you have some blacks to say, hey, hey, we put Joe Biden in the White House. We put Kamala Harris in the White House. We need to uh, 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 make sure that uh, we get all that we need out of the system that, that's in place. So where are you in, in that discussion? Well, 
it's a good question, K.A. I'm not sure on any given day that you make decisions based upon history, but I think that history does play a part in what we're talking about right now. Um, one of the things of current interest, of course, is the film Judas and the Black Messiah, a story of the assassination of Fred Hampton and of Mark Clark in Chicago. And I think it's a very direct parallel to what happened here in Louisville when Breonna Taylor was killed. Uh, we still haven't had any justice about that. That whole idea has not gone underground. But many people are saying that, you know, it's old wine and new bottles. Nothing has really changed. And for that reason, I think that you're correct, that we do have to have a variety of means to address those issues, one of which is political, certainly, and the other one is consciousness. I have to say consciousness is part of that whole dialogue. Uh, for example, Judas and the Black Messiah, many people know, is the story of the assassination of Fred Hampton. So you can see direct parallels with his life and with the uh, targeting of Breonna Taylor for no other reason than nobody has been brought to accountability for that particular incident. Uh, so you're right, um, K.A., we're living in very interesting times. In fact, I like to say this is the Chinese curse. May you be born in interesting times. And I think that it's fair to say that we look at this as just the latest, but not the most egregious um, incident in our lives, but that's time for us to be aware of all those things that we have been heir to over these years. In my case, it begins with the middle passage, as you probably know, and that you can trace our history from 1526 until today, our presence as Africans in this country. So there's many, many, many things that come to bear this particular year. So uh, you look at the movie uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which is, you know, as we speak, still playing in Louisville. Um, uh, at least uh, uh, at, at one or two theaters. Uh, so, uh, and half the movie is not really about Fred Hampton. Half the movie is about the the Judas, the 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 FBI informer, who was really kind of a sort of a hapless individual who was completely sort of politically uneducated, unformed, and. Uh, wasn't really politically or socially aware, sort of a, a, a car thief type individual. And the FBI said, hey, uh, uh, either go to jail or do this for us, and uh, which is a typical situation that a lot of black and brown and some white people get caught up into as well. I mean, the whole thing about confidential informants, paid informants, that is a big, big problem in the black and brown community, simply because black and brown people have so much contact with law enforcement. And, of course, most, most people plead guilty uh, and don't go to trial. And so they're always making deals with law enforcement. And uh, that is, uh, uh, instead of going to trial and, uh, and saying, you know, I didn't do it, you agree to do a certain amount of time or pay a certain amount of money or a combination of both or community service, time, money, whatever. And sometimes the police say, well, uh, if you help us, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make uh, your case go away completely. Uh, uh, so, and they do it all the time. Uh, and so 
for instance, most notably uh, in the Marion Barry situation, where years ago, where the uh, the African American mayor of Washington D.C. was set up on a dope charge by his quote unquote girlfriend, and uh, and the the truth is, I, I I read the book on it. His quote unquote girlfriend was working with the feds. Uh, because her real boyfriend was in trouble, and the feds uh, said to her, "Well, look, uh, if you want your boyfriend to uh, uh, to uh, have a uh, you know to want us to relax his situation, well, you just uh, help us with Marion Barry, and that's what she did. And so, uh, 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 you know, that's just a part of. It's not new. That is, no, uh, it's not new." That is, uh, the black and brown community is filled with confidential informants and paid informants. And, and so that's the, it's the whole question of how does, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, how, how do you survive when your group is not the dominant uh, race or category in a country, in a society? You know, when you're the minority, when you're the oppressed minority, when the dominant group has all the power, has all the authority, has all the money, and has the power to take your life away to inc- or, or to incarcerate you, how do you cope? How do you survive? Yes. And so yeah. you look at, for instance, I mean, the civil rights leader, uh, J- uh, late uh, Julian Bond, talked about the quote-unquote short line that talked about some African Americans wanted to take the the, the, the short line to success, uh, uh, and so and a perfect example, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court, uh, Daniel Cameron here, uh, Kentucky's Attorney General, African American, but essentially sacrificed uh, uh, Breonna Taylor uh, to make white folks happy, make the police happy. Uh, and so the short line, that is Daniel Cameron, uh, as Mitch McConnell's protege, uh, uh, took the short line to success. Uh, Daniel Cameron became ter- attorney general of the state of Kentucky without ever having tried one single case, civil or criminal. Uh, Mitch McConnell just put his hand on Daniel Cameron's shoulder and said, hey, this is my guy. Vote for him. Make him attorney general. White folks did it too, and so in in, in return, uh, Daniel Cameron is of course willing to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, viciously attack uh, women's right to choose, or or viciously attack the governor and try to keep the governor from being able to keep us safe from COVID, or uh, you know, whatever else that he thinks uh, uh, Mitch McConnell and uh, the Republican lead want him to do, he's willing to do it. And so, uh, and and so is Clarence Thomas, you know, in exchange for his position. And so, when you're in uh, the weaker group, how do you survive? Uh, exactly. And that is the question. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, uh, Adam Clayton Powell didn't have to be Adam Clayton Powell. He was very light complected. He, I mean, he could have been a sort of enjoyed his life as member of the black bourgeoisie. Uh, but he chose to be a man of the people and, and paid paid the price for it. So, uh, uh, so that's a, that's correct, Kay. It's very correct. And um, it, so, and if you look at the movie, uh, we talk get you know talk a little bit about the movie. Uh, and uh, uh, Lakeith Stanfield played the uh, I believe it was William Coleman, who was the, uh, the 
police informer who's dead. And, of course, Fred Hampton was played by Daniel, uh, I can't pronounce his last name. It's an African last name, Kalua or Kalua. I think it's called Kalua. Yeah. I think, I'm not sure. Don't, don't hold me to that. Something but, like, like that. And so, uh, and so it was sort of half and half the way the, the movie uh, dealt with the with, with the two characters, but it's just fascinating. How do you survive? I mean, I've, I've had black people tell me, I mean, educated black people with degrees tell me that you know, since we don't come from money, since we don't have money, if boss boss white offers us some money, we just have to take it and do whatever boss says. So, well, Julian's bond analysis is right on. Okay, uh, in terms of you know being susceptible to those kinds of manipulations. And I think Fred Hampton Jr., his son, said something that stuck with me in one of his interviews. He said that his father wanted people to know that there's a difference between being articulate and being aware. Between being articulate and accepted, being aware and committed. And I think it's a re- that's why Hampton was a revolutionary, because he didn't go for the short line, as you say. Uh, Julian Bond does see the main traps out here for those people who can be co-opted and turned to the purposes of other people. But what I think is most important is that you have a variety of people in our community, and that it's only the fraction of people at the what you call the tip of the spear who are going to make the big changes. In fact, Fred Hampton's name is known around the world. Dr. King's name is known around the world. Muhammad Ali's name is known around the world. These are the kind of people that make uh, systemic change. And that's what Fred Hampton was about, was about systemic change. All of us cannot be revolutionaries in that sense. All of us need to be aware of the temptations of being not just aware, but being articulate is not enough. It's not enough to be well-spoken. It's enough to be, only enough to be well-informed. You can make informed choices. That's what I think education is about. That's what I committed my life to is education. And I think that we can all learn from experiences of the, of the best among us. And certainly on one hand, Fred Hampton was one of those leaders. You can name them. Muhammad Ali was one of those leaders. People who stood up for something. We have women going back to Harriet Tubman. In fact, she said, I would have freed more people if they'd known they were enslaved. So it's not just men. It's people in our culture who have what I think Fred Hampton Jr. would say. Not just articulation, but being aware of what time it is. And so when I look at uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, I look at so-called uh, black conservatives, uh, Shelby Steele, Thomas Sowell, you know, Candace Owens, and uh, just wonder how what is the separation between them and the uh, the uh, an, an undercover FBI informant uh, who was literally setting up black people to die. I may mean, I uh, say, yeah, may I, I think you're right. Okay, may I say that we do have sterling examples even today of courage. A look at Stacey Abrams in Florida is one of those examples of extreme courage. A look at the people who survived the movement in terms of the SNCC legacy. I look at people who stood up for what they believe are in many, many areas. And so we have people, and they are unusually rare, but they are also people who are not only articulate, but are committed to the truth and they, as they see it. 
And as you go through and you realize that they are unusually gifted and also unusually committed and not distracted by the bells and whistles and the geegaws and, and whatnot of society, that they are about something. They stand for something. We have people in and out of politics, in fact, locally and nationally, who stood up for things that made a difference. And I think once you realize that you're here on the planet, do something with your life to be an example of something worthwhile. That's when you make those decisions. Are you going to go with the okie doke? You're going to stand for something. And so I'm very much impressed by in the last few years how black athletes and entertainers have have have, have rejoined activism because you know there was like a 30 year lull between the peak of it with Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali and uh, uh, folks like that. Uh, that were standing up for, for social justice. Uh, that is, when uh, all the athletes stood stood behind Muhammad Ali back in the day, uh, 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 Kareem, so on and so forth, Jim. Well, actually, Jim was organized all that. And then, of course, with the entertainers, you you know, you had Harry Belafonte and others. And actually, Sammy, Sammy Davis, too. Uh, yeah. People don't want to give him credit for it, but yes, he was there, too. Uh, uh, and then there was a, a, a sort of a lull and then uh, the black athletes and entertainers led by people, uh, 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 Colin Kaepernick, LeBron, others, uh, come back in a big way, uh, yeah. standing up for, for the people. Uh, yeah. I, I can recall, okay, uh, the response to, and I'm going to bring up some old memories, uh, some recently old memories. And that is that the rise of democratic politics in the last election was in some way prompted by resistance to the, the very strident demand of President 45 that Colin Kaepernick stand for the national and when he refused to, that set off a whole resistance among athletes and entertainers to the point that this season, when you look at the NBA, you see Black Lives Matter painted on the on the court itself. You see LeBron James standing up for something besides just collecting money and endorsements. You see people like, uh, well, even in tennis, it's a, it's a worldwide notion. One of my favorite players now, Naomi Osaka of Japan, who wore Black Lives Matter garb for all her tournaments in Australia this past year. So I think what happens is one person becomes a domino that knocks over the other dominoes and people fall in line. You understand what time it is. LeBron, for all his, I think, people that made him out to be a negative influence, he is, in fact, socially and politically indestructible as well as physically imposing. Well, so, uh, okay. the, the, I want to, uh, you know, tip my hat to that brother because uh, here's a brother who didn't go to college, who's more politically sophisticated uh, and, and more sophisticated from a business point of view than the players it did. That is, he's the one that said, hey, I'm going to call some other brothers and we're going to go down here in Miami and get a championship. I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a create the team. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to go back to uh, Cleveland and get a championship there. And then I'm going to go to L.A. and get a championship there. These, these are deals I'm making. This is what he has done. In fact, one of Fred Hampton's, uh, I guess, uh, earmarks is that he believed in community self-determination. He 
thought that perhaps when we stood up for what we believed, that things would change. So LeBron, not only did he uh, go from team to team to make them champions, well, he, he returned to his community in Cleveland and Akron and established an academy for young black kids. These are the things that go beyond. His, his legacy will go beyond how many champions the rings he's acquired to how many people he has influenced to stand up for what they believe. And so, uh, uh, you know, uh, we have to give credit to the players that laid the foundation, the great Oscar Robinson, of course, who, uh, uh, you know, he was, you know, toward the end of his career, he was actually president of the Players Association and made things better for a lot, a lot of players besides himself. But it's interesting, if you look at some of those players that laid the, laid the groundwork, for instance, to me, like Wilt Chamberlain and Jim Brown, they were so bigger than life that they were just going to uh, overcome all the racism and enjoy their lives to the fullest no matter what. They were just, I don't know if they're born that way, they say, hey, I'm going to be untouchable, period. I'm going to do everything I want to do and enjoy it. And then Oscar, Oscar internalized the pain that if you listen at like, if you're a kid and you look at these guys, you think, oh, well, they're just all great black athletes. But Oscar internalized the pain. And so his personality was different than... Uh, than oh, yeah. I and, think we come in various shades of awareness. I, say, I may say it that way. Yeah. But the, as you were speaking, I think of the list is long of those athletes who have broken the codes of popular culture and asserted their African heritage. You look at Jackie Robinson, of course. Yeah. Another one. Althea Gibson's another one. And you go on and on. I mean, boxers, ballers, tennis players, golfers, even Tiger Woods. I mean, all of these things have been to the point of belief in self and the community, it seems to me, to one extent or another. And I think you look at, uh, for example, we talk about LeBron quite a bit. There were years where he was not, he was vilified. You know, how dare you stand up and, and determine your own press interview in sports? In fact, we looked at sports in a particular way. Sports mean a lot to American popular culture. And those people who have made the progress as black athletes have broken barriers for everybody. Say what you want to say about Tiger Woods. He made lots of golfers rich. Absolutely. And so I'm saying that whatever you do, and I think this is a lesson for younger people as well, whatever you do, do not forget where you came from in the sense of you have a duty to give back. That's what I see. That's what I see Jackie Robinson doing. That's what I see. Oscar Robertson doing. That's what I see Kareem doing. That's what I see many, many people who have played sports for entertainment turning their notoriety into social justice. That's the ultimate goal, it seems to me. Well, it's just interesting to me, though, that there are certain constants. I mean, when you talk about, you know, Bill Russell, even though he led the, the Boston Celtics, of course, so many championships, he still faced intense racism in Boston. And then 20 or 30 years later, when Patrick Ewan came from the islands and lived in Boston, he still faced the same racism, that uh, intense racism that uh, that Bill Russell faced all those years before. But you mentioned uh, Patrick Ewan because, as you know, two weeks ago when Georgetown took a championship for, I guess, the ACC, 
somebody challenged him in the Madison Square Garden that he did that he belonged there. Now, here's a man who put the Knicks on the map 40 years ago. Okay, here's a man who is John Thompson's heir apparent in terms of black sport, black athletes, and he was challenged about his right to be in Madison Square Garden. That, to me, was mind-blowing. So no matter how far you go, there's always somebody put that pebble in your path. Unless you're mad enough to stand up and dismiss it and say, I am who I am, I belong here, I'm doing my job, please get out of my way. That kind of thing, I think, is a polite resistance that we all need to be aware of. And I think that our, our youngsters, our sons and daughters need to be aware of as well. Because I do know, and you know too, that there are young people who are, I guess, unshakably confident based upon what their elders have taught them. Well, I, I, we definitely need that. And uh, uh, so, uh, so yes, so uh, it's an interesting time in uh, uh, history. Uh Hopefully we can get past the you know the COVID crisis. I mean I've I've had one shot. I'm getting my uh, next my second shot next week. I'm I, I encourage everybody black and white I know to get the shot. I actually send resources around to, to people to you know how to get the get the shot. So some people take uh, take the advice. Uh, some people don't. Uh, but Mister uh, Bukaya, but don't pardon my interruption. But tell me this. It is understandable that we have had a shabby history with the medical community as black people. How would you encourage somebody, because we do know that black and brown people, for a variety of reasons, are among the most vulnerable to this pandemic. I mean, we take the frontline jobs, jobs wherever we are, we get them in some of the most dangerous spots in terms of medical science that we can find. But how would you encourage somebody who's not in that particular position, but who's African-American or brown or whatever, to go ahead and get your shot. How would you encourage people to do that? Well, I would say this. It's a survival of the fittest. I mean, the people who who get the shot, uh, in all likelihood, even if they catch it, they won't. Uh, I mean, it, it will keep you from dying. Uh, even, uh, and so uh, it'll you'll get less sick. Uh, so... Uh, no matter which shot you get. So uh, to me, the math is clear. And, uh, 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 you know, yeah. the, but I, everybody I, doesn't respond to that, though. But uh, that is as far as your mathematical probability, uh, even if you've had it and survived it, that is, for instance, they're saying now that people who have, uh, they call them COVID long haulers. And these are people that had the COVID and but they still have symptoms, residual symptoms, debilitating systems. So they're saying if those people take the vaccine, those debilitating systems go away. So to me, the math, the odds uh, of you staying alive, not getting sick, not making other people sick uh, by taking the shot, it's, it's very clear. Uh, okay, yeah, you're exactly right. And I think that we are living in fact very interesting times. I even go so far as to say we're at a turning point of our culture and we have become more and more aware of our history, become more and more of possibility, and we also become more and more aware of co-optation. That was a big fear during the civil rights movement and certainly among the Panthers and Fred Hampton's time. But I think the information, education, experience, those kinds of things weigh heavily against the ignorance that I think tends to 
to lock anybody, not just, say, black people, but anybody in position. The more you know, the more you're able to defend yourself in your community, it seems to me. Knowledge is power, no question about it. Well, Dr. 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 Hamilton, folks, we've been here today with Dr. Bill Hamilton, an expert on black history and black lit- literature and, and various other things, too, that affect our community and our well world. And we well, appreciate you being here with us today, Dr. Hamilton. Well, it's my pleasure, K.A. Thank you so much for inviting me. And folks, just remember, we're in our pledge drive, so if you want to give a few dollars, go to forwardradio.org and uh, help support the uh, help support this uh, station and the programming that uh, you enjoy. So, folks, this is On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we will be back next week.